Hey, everybody, it is Trags, and this is episode 31, the final episode of season one of the Jungle Roar podcast. And it is my sincere pleasure to welcome back Kelsey Conway of the Cincinnati Inquirer, doing a fantastic job, did an awesome job in her first year in the Queen City covering the stripes. And you can follow her on Twitter. Make sure you do it accurately. Kelsey L. Conway. The L has to be in there. Right, Conway? <laughs> yes, that is that is what it needs to be. Um, yes. But I'm excited to be back on with you. I can't believe it's, it's here. The end of the season. Now we're going to spend the next four months wanting to cringe and talk about all of the free agency draft stuff, whatever. So it's like, I always try to pump the brakes on the mock draft talk and all that during season because like it just becomes so much for the next couple of months that you just need to enjoy the season coverage that we just had for um so you know, I don't even know how many months <laughs> it's interesting you bring that up because Paul Daner had mentioned oh I don't know halfway through the season we're approaching the territory where I'm not going to be starting on the draft in like early December we're approaching the territory where this team's going to be relevant and lo and behold they have a run to a Super Bowl so uh, obviously that we'll be talking a lot about the draft in the weeks uh, and months to come up Uh, obviously that's at the end of April but uh, First of all, I want to touch on something that is pressing on everybody's mind, and that is how do the Bengals protect Joe Burrow better in 2022, and where do you begin? Do you begin on the interior line? Do you begin at upgrading right tackle? Um, Where would you begin and, and why? I would begin on the right side, and I would begin at right tackle first. And here, So here's the process that Duke and Zach are going to have to go through. They're going to have to make a decision if they thought when Riley Reef was healthy, was he good enough? Is he worth re-signing? Then, if you think he is, then you can move your focus on to a top-tier guard, thinking you'd re-sign Quentin Spain. If they don't think that Quentin Spain, who's also going to be a free agent, and right. Riley Reef are not what they want, then you're looking at like potentially blowing the whole thing up because there's a good chance the Bengals will draft a center. Um, And Trey Hopkins is, you know, towards the end of his career. So pretty much the only lock on the Bengals offensive line right now is Jonah Williams. And that's what you're going to go into the off season wondering. That's the biggest question. As you said, are they going to blow the whole thing up? Are they just blowing up the right side? And who is the like, who do you sell out to get in free agency? Is there one player, whether it's a right tackle or, um, you know, if it's, if it's like an Orlando Brown, right? Like, right. is that, is that what you're selling out to do? I don't know, Kelsey. I think that the interior line and maybe I'm in the minority in this. I think the interior line has to be addressed before the tackle position does, because what I saw over the whole course of the season, the, the bigger sample, if you will, was an inferior interior line that was giving up pressures after pressure. And Trey Hopkins did not have a great year pass protection. He just didn't. And the numbers, you know, if you follow PFF, I'm sure you do, um, bear that out. He did not have a good year in pass protection. They're going to have to get a center. And I think the center is so critical in calling out line protections that you start there. And we also should mention the Bengals have, just over $57 million 
in cap space, according to over the cap. So that's a very good number. And they can spend a good deal of that uh, along their offensive line. There are other areas that they can improve upon, but they obviously, I think, need to spend uh, the bulk of that $57 million if they're going to spend the bulk of that uh, on the interior offensive line. That's where, oh, that's where my feeling is. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on with that. But 57, even though it seems like a lot to us, that could go pretty quick because they've got a budget for Jesse Bates if they decide they want to keep him. And then do you re-sign Larry Ogunjobi? Um, he's going to cost you a good right. amount. Um, and then I also think like an area that will probably be at the top below the offensive line of positions this team needs to address is corner. Outside of Chido Bay yeah. I think like they drastically need to upgrade because Trey Wayne's you you missed oh, on that gone. one. Um, I mean he's gone. He's gone, and then I don't think you resign Eli Apple. I think he was like in the Super Bowl, he showed to be a liability, and so then you're stuck with who's your starting cornerback outside of Cheeto. Right. So I, I think mean, they're gonna no and corners aren't cheap. So even though they got very far. They've still got some key positions to address. It's not, you know, they're not talking about their reserve linebackers or their, uh, you know, fourth or fifth defensive linemen. These are like key positions they've got to nail. No question. And look, I think the name that's going to come up, I'm, I want to shift back to the offensive line for a second. Brian Jensen, he was Tom Brady's personal snapper for the last two seasons. Uh, he is considered a pro bowl level, all pro level center in the game. His market value is going to be three, three years, 30 million. And that's according to spot rack. I think that's a pretty fair number. He could obviously get a little bit more than that. Um, but you're talking, you're talking about 10 of the 57 million going to one player there, maybe 12 if, if they want to, if, if, um, the Jensen camp is willing uh, to want to sign in Cincinnati and play with Joe Burrow. Yeah. I think that's where Joe having Joe Burrow helps because I think previously where you didn't have a stud quarterback, a Super Bowl caliber quarterback in, in Joe Burrow, it would be difficult attracting a free agent like Ryan Jensen. Now I don't think it's so, I, I don't think it would be as difficult. And if the Bengals are willing to spend the money, Go out and get a guy who is 31 years old um, in the prime of his career. That's where I'd target. Um, and then you've got a couple of guards uh, in Brandon Scherf. He is the top free agent guard from Washington. Um, I feel like his name, has, he's been a top free agent like a lot in his career. I don't know if it's because he keeps signing one-year deals, but. He's a little like bit. I yeah, he, he is. And he's a little bit more expensive. Uh, his market yeah. value is about uh, $8 million more, three years, $38 million. Okay. And then uh, somebody the Bengals are familiar with, Lake and Tomlinson, they saw him this year with San Francisco. So those are three names to keep an eye on. And I don't know, Kelsey, I just think that, as I said before, they need to get better over the ball. If they're not good over the ball, whatever they do at right tackle isn't going to matter. Because I think there have been ga- there were games this past year where Jonah Williams was good and the rest of the line was, especially inside, was not good. And, you know, I just don't think that, you know, I think that burned them several times. I am not as much, I am not as down on Isaiah Prince as a lot of people are. 
Go um, back and watch the I'm, just the cut-ups of him in Super Bowl 56 and tell the, me. The, 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 he had a bad Super Bowl. There's no question about that. But again, Kelsey, if you if if you are evaluating the entire sample of his season, I think the Bengals were actually fairly satisfied. Were they thrilled? No. They didn't have anybody like that on the roster that maybe outside Jonah that they would be thrilled with. But you also have to understand tackles nowadays are, are incredibly expensive where you can get more of an interior lineman cheaper. Well, do you want to build strength interior and then maybe draft somebody on the outside? I don't know. That's going to be part of their thinking because your, your point about the 57 million is a great one. It goes fast, especially if you decide to re-up Jeff. I don't know if they're going to do that. Let's transition to Jesse Bates because you wrote about this and the Bengals uh, have a window of February 22nd, which is this week, obviously, through March 14th, I believe it is, or March 18th, to franchise tag them. I think that it... So it's actually March 8th. 8th. They only That's have right. until March 8th to, if they're going to tag him to do that. Because then if they tag him, then they don't have to worry about the free agency situation. If they What's don't the tag him... Yeah, I think it's a foregone uh, conclusion they're tagging him. They're not going to lose him. There's no, I would be shocked if they lost him. I would nope. be shocked too, but uh, you can never say never in that NFL is what I've learned. This is true. I think that's fair, but um, I think the How number. How about this? Do you yes. think if, if Jesse Bates didn't have the postseason that he did, would you be as confident in saying the Bengals wouldn't? are going to definitely re-sign him? No, I uh, think that's fair. If he had just, if he were mediocre and continued some of the struggles that he showed in the first part of the season, in the postseason, I would be inclined because I know there are people inside the organization who say, are we really going to pay this guy 16, 17 million a year for what he showed over the first half of the season? The answer would be no. When they have pressing concerns elsewhere and when they need to also like you mentioned uh sign a cornerback or draft yeah um, right so uh but after what he showed in the postseason plus the fact that he is a glue in that locker room that's mm-hmm. a big and and he is also your signal caller of the defense at least in the secondary he's a it plays a huge role in what lou wants to do and how he then and many times throughout the year Lou pointed that out in, you know, conference calls or Zoom calls with us. He would say that, you know, Jesse does a great job of getting the calls out to the guys in a timely manner. And, you know, everybody focuses on the green dot for the, the linebacker calling out the signals in the front. But in the back, Jesse has to have everybody on the same page. And I thought he did a pretty good job of that this year. His play wasn't superior, but I thought the way he kept the defense all on the same page I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. For sure. So I, I'm I'm of the belief that they're going to sit down, and I don't have any inside information on this, but the way I read them and have read them in the past, they're going to make an attempt to avoid the franchise, get a deal done, and if the and if David Mugletta of Athletes First, Jesse's new agent as of last late last summer 
after the Harrison Smith deal with Minnesota. If he doesn't want to sit down, then they franchise him. It's to me pretty much a no brainer. Well, I don't think he'll want to sit down like the window needed to happen because this played right into Jesse and his agent's favor because he played so well. Why would Jesse and his agent agree on a number before they even see what the market sets or what teams offer? Um, Like Tyron Matthew is one of the top safeties hitting the market. Like why would they agree with the Bengals before they see what numbers are going to get put out there? So again, this is where making a Super Bowl with a stud quarterback, a franchise quarterback entering his third NFL season comes into play. I would say normally uh, they would absolutely wait. But if Jesse tells his agent, look, if Dave, if Jesse tells Mugletta that I want a deal done, I'm staying here. If it's anything ballpark, what we were offered last year, I want, you know, that's what I'll take. And I think that does mean something to a guy like Jesse. Yes, you want to maximize every single cent out of your contract. I get that. But to some players, and I think Jesse is one, he also wants a chance to win a championship. They were so close. Right. Last. But I I disagree because I think he's like mad at the, the, the situation that he didn't get done. Like, I think he thinks he should have been paid. And like, why would he help them out? Like, I have no, like, Jesse's a good guy. Like, he doesn't. He's not the type that's going to be like all about himself. But at the end of the day, he knows he said, this is my one chance to change my family's life. Like, correct. You know, I, but whatever deal he signs, he's going to change his family's life. Yes, I mean, exactly. And, and, and do you want to change your family's life in Jacksonville? Do you, or do you want to do it with a team that is coming off a Super Bowl and has a very young core of which he's a part? That's, that's the interesting thing to me, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and he's obviously a captain. He's revered in that locker room. He's loved Mm -hmm. in that locker room. Do you want to leave that situation for another situation where you have to build up all of that all over again? I don't know. I mean, I don't think he, he will want to do that if the Bengals make a reasonable offer and it's up Mm -hmm. to him to decide what a reasonable offer is. See, this is where. I'm frustrated that we didn't get a chance to talk to the players postseason. Like uh-huh. in a normal NFL season, and you know this, after day after the season ends or two days after, and they go through their exit physicals, you get to talk with players. And, uh-huh. and Jesse would obviously be one we'd be wanting to talk to, asking precisely this question. Jesse, what would it take? Or do you have a number in mind? Or how badly do you want to come back? Just so you have a sense of, from the player himself, what what is his priority in coming back? And, you know, maybe he talks um, individually to somebody, don't know, or maybe he doesn't. But, you know, that's just one of those things where I wish we had that opportunity to sit down with a player like that. I love covering Jesse Bates, by the way. Oh, yeah. He's he's everything the franchise like wants in their big guy that you would sign to a long-term deal. He's loved by his teammates, great for the city, works really hard, no-nonsense type of guy, 100%. So to recap, uh, and you have this up on your uh, story on Cincinnati Inquirer um, and Cincinnati.com, that between February 22nd and March 8th, that is the window in which the Bengals have the opportunity to franchise them. 
I think it's no brainer. I think they're going to use that franchise tag on him and then see where they can go in negotiations. All right. We talked about the corner. We talked about the inside. I, I, by the way, um, Trey Flowers is also a free agent. Trey Flowers, and and this is kind of off the beaten path, um, I thought he played an incredibly underrated role on what the Bengals did in the postseason on special teams. You know, you knew Trey Waynes was done when Cheeto comes out of the game in the Super Bowl for a snap or two, whatever it was. And who replaced him? It wasn't Trey Waynes. It was Trey Flowers. And uh, I I thought that was very telling. So, um, but Flowers and Eli are both uh, free agents. I would say it's unlikely that either one returns. So they're going to be in the market for that. Uh, By the way, you know this gentleman who just retired on Tuesday as we record this. The one and only Rico. Rico Allen retired from uh, the NFL. That didn't surprise you, did it? No, I I haven't gotten to talk to him because, as you said, we haven't been around the players. But I think he was at a point in his career where he played six seasons in Atlanta. Then he plays his seventh season in Cincinnati. Like, at what point do you say, I want to keep holding on to these one-year deals? Um, right. He really didn't play a lot for the Bengals. So I don't think the market would really be, like, crazy for him. And I think he wants, he's always said, he said in Atlanta all the time, he wants to be a coach. So he's going to, I guess, get involved in that. But um, the Bengals are set at safety. I mean, I think it's a position they could draft a a younger guy to groom, but uh, I think they've got more pressing needs at corner and places like that. Oh, it's good. I mean, you know, I'm, it was great that Rico Allen, Ricardo Allen, was able to uh, sign with the Bengals, and I thought he played a you know a, a very serviceable role early in the season. But like you said, didn't see much of the field later in the season. Uh, another subject I want to address with you is the job, and we can a- address the two new coaches that have been hired. You also wrote about this, um, the job Zach Taylor did in the Super Bowl. How would you grade it? Look, like I, it's really hard for me to give coaching grades because it's really easy to play Monday morning quarterback here and say he should have done this. But I just think like for every person that has issues with Zach's play calling, like he is the reason this team got there in the first place. And like even Sean McVay in his first playoff, uh, his first Super Bowl loss, he this time around said, I'm going to do things differently. Like I'm sure Zach, if he gets another chance would do things differently. Um, I think what people should spend their time focused on more instead of Zach's play calling is the Bengals inability to get anything on third and one and fourth and one all season long, because yep. if they were able to push the pile for Samaje P Ryan, we wouldn't be talking about this, you know, like, that crippled them all season long. And I personally think that's a more relevant topic to discuss than me giving out a grade for Zach Taylor. When reality is like, we don't know what the game plan was. We don't know if he felt that they executed it. We don't know how much of it was on the players, not doing what Zach told them. Like, I think it's just really dicey to give someone a grade like that. So do you have any insight on something that was raised to me, and I'm sure you're aware of this, having gone back and watched the, the film, why Mixon wasn't in third and one on the first drive of the game. Everybody focuses on the last drive of the game. And and, and Zach, you know, mentioned that that P Ryan had been their two-minute guy 
for most of the season and done a really good job, which is true. But early in the game, Mixon fresh, he's not in the game. Did that strike you as strange? Yes. And I I think it's weird because when I first started covering this team, it was during training camp and the big topic was, um, has Mixon done enough to become a three down back? And I just don't understand. I mean, I went through the PFF grades. Mixon was one of the worst pass blockers the Bengals had in the game against the Rams. P. Ryan graded out way higher than Mixon in pass blocking. And he's been the better pass blocking back. Mixon is not the top tier pass blocking running back. Um, But at the same time, he's one of your best players. So, I don't know. So, no, I mean, I think you just answered it. Obviously, Zach and Brian Callahan just made the the conscious decision that um, we'd rather have an extra guy in there to protect Joe because our offensive line was bleeding. It was hemorrhaging pass rush. And, you know, that it probably just came down to something as simple as that. And right. You know, you would, but I wrote about this in in the things that the Bengals must do in the Mm offseason. I think, and this sounds strange for a guy who had the great season that Mixon did, they've got to have a serious discussion on how to best maximize Joe Mixon next year. No? Yeah, because, you know, before we start, I know it's like we're, seems kind of crazy for us to even mention this, but I think this might be the year they draft the era parents to Joe Mixon. Like in all seriousness, could be. He's got how many more years left on his contract? Two. I want to say two or three. I can look it up real quick, but um, they they got to do better than Smadre P. Ryan and from a backup well, running back standpoint. Here's the thing: Joe Mixon is such a good pass catching back that it goes against intuitively what you would want on a third you would want to throw the ball to Joe Mixon as an outlet on third down and let's say five to avoid the pass rush but they went away from that and they took away an option for Joe Burrow which is why I think he was so his eyes were downfield and took longer for plays to develop and you know that's what that's the trap that I think the Bengals got caught up in in the Super Bowl right yeah you know what um I would love to see happen I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm going to throw this out there. The second that Joe uh, Rob Gronkowski said, you know, the only other guy I'd really want to play with is Joe Burrow. I'm thinking to myself, if Gronk were on this team, on this offense, and yet even with CJ, uh, with Uzama, imagine the offensive options for Joe Burrow. It would be like Tom Brady back in 07, only probably a little bit better. It would be like Tampa Bay 2020. He would have so, Joe Burrow would have so many options down. 100%. If Gronk was serious about that, the Bengals could make it work 100%. But does that, what happens to CJ Uzama? You sit CJ down and say, look, this is about winning a Super Bowl, and Gronk is one of the best, the, one of the three best blocking tight ends, might be still the best blocking tight end in football. He can run a seam route as well as anybody. We're trying to make this team better for Joe, and I think I think CJ would 
he, he may not initially like love the idea, but I think he would understand it. I do. I mean, certainly you'd have to have that discussion with CJ, but yeah. and assure him that, Hey, look, it's a one-year deal, you know, and don't worry about it. We're not signing him to be here long-term. We're just seeing, you know, if this works out and we have a chance, we should take a shot and see if For it sure. works out. And it's not going to, sure. I don't think it's going to cost them an arm and a leg. If Gronk is really serious about playing with Burrow, he's like, the Bengals can say, look, we have this amount of money for you. We'd love to have you, uh, but we've got other needs, obviously. So I, and I think Gronk would, Gronk would have a lot of fun with Burrow. Yeah, for sure. That would be must-see TV press conference. Oh, I mean, it would be awesome. Yeah, and by the way, next year, Kelsey, I think we are going to be um, pretty close to back to normal. Though it did concern me. I don't know if this is a little bit off the off the rails, but did you watch the NBA All Star uh, Saturday night? Yeah. Adam Silver's comments kind of concerned me because I'm just, you know, the ones I'm talking about. Yeah, about privacy and space being good for everyone. And locker rooms. And I, and he retracted it to a degree. Um, He rephrased it um, about two to three hours later when his PR staff got to him and said, "Uh, everybody's freaking out that, you know, reporters aren't going to have access to players and they're going to be able to get away real soon. I just hope the NFL understands and the NFL PA, because it's, this is more about the NFL PA and the players wanting to give access to us after a game. And I hope that the NFL PA understands that when you publicize characters like Rob Kronkowski, it's good for the game. It's good for everybody. Yeah. You, you sure. have thoughts on that? I think, I think that NBA is not going to dictate what the NFL does because the NFL has fewer games. It's different when the NBA feels like they're going to have reporters in the locker room, um, you know, every day. Um, so I think the NFL is a different animal. And plus the NBA the media attention around the NBA is not nearly as close as the NFL. So I think the fact that we were able to do in-person media availability at the Super Bowl showed, okay, we're working towards going back and in the combine being in person, owners meetings, draft, all that stuff. I hope we're tracking the right way. So speaking of which, as we wrap this up, this is Kelsey Conway, a follower on Twitter, Kelsey L Conway, and she does a fabulous job covering the Bengals. Um, proud to call you a colleague of mine on the beat. I can say that. Absolutely. Um, the combine is coming up. What mm-hmm. are the biggest things you're going to be looking for at the combine as it, as it relates to um, Duke Tobin, Zach Taylor, who will speak and uh, Brian Callahan and uh, Lou Anaruma will also speak. What are you looking for from them? I, the thing that's hard is like I, at this point in the season, I would probably if, like in previous years when I haven't been covering a team that's gone to the playoffs, like you've got a list of targets of com of prospects that you would want to go to their press conference or you think like, okay, they, the Bengals might meet with them, but because the Bengals have played so late, I have done like no work yet in terms of like prospects who I think fit the Bengals. Um, so I think I'm mostly just going to be focused on gathering the news from what Duke and Zach say, um, talking to Brian. I mean, I think Brian Callahan's the best person to talk to on the Bengals staff. He's so insightful. Um, I think he'll give us a pretty good update of the offensive line. Um, 
But I think from that standpoint, it's going to be like, kind of just like getting the basics of what they think their blueprint is going to be at the combine this year, as opposed to like focusing on prospects um, specifically. What was your favorite part of covering this team in your first year? Hmm. I think it was that I came into this season not knowing really anything about Bengals. Uh, I didn't know what to think of the locker room of Zach Taylor. And I was so pleasantly surprised at just like the players. They were so nice to the media. They were so forthcoming with their answers. Um, They were fun. They were funny. Like I think – uh, like Tyler Boyd's press conferences were amazing. Um, see. How could you not like T Higgins? Um, Logan Wilson's great. Like I just had no idea of some of these players. Um, and it just turned out to be like such a joy to cover them because they were so nice and so easy to cover and easy to want to write nice things about them. Um, so I think it was just like the general, just like surprise, delightful surprise it was to cover the Bengals. I think that that's what I would say. So, and I'm glad you said that because for me coming from the environment I came from covering the Patriots for 27 years, whatever it was, and, and coming to Cincinnati, coming back home to my hometown and covering this team this year was eye opening because the Mm -hmm. culture, it was culture shock, but it was a great kind of culture shock. And, and that is not to diss the way Bill does things in New England, he does things the way he does. He has six rings to show for it. Um, nobody would ever criticize that or uh, criticize their environment for that. Some reporters would, but overall, their environment was, their culture was what it was. But in Cincinnati, I thought Zach, and you referenced this a little while ago when you were talking about Zach, Zach did a great job of letting the players be the players. And I think to me, that sums up what these 2021 Bengals were. They were very genuine. They went about their business. And for all the personality, how many like serious distractions were there? Like, I can't remember a single serious, maybe the Tyler Boyd saying the Steelers quit at the end of the game. If you want to call that a distraction and throw, but even then that went away so quickly that, right. It was just to me an indication that this whole season was an indication that the guys were had great leadership, went about their business, and had fun doing it. And that's mm-hmm. the balance. It, it sounds like every team should be like that, but mm-hmm. they're not. And right. I thought I think Zach deserves a lot of credit for that. Absolutely, I'm 100 with you. All right, that will wrap up the Jungle Roar podcast, Kelsey. I appreciate it. I'm going to catch up with you in Indy. Correct. Absolutely. Maybe we'll have some shrimp cocktail together. Uh, yes. Oh, what is it, Adam? Help me. St. Elmo's. Uh, yes. St. Elmo's. St. Elmo's. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, St. Elmo's it is. So anyway, I'm looking forward to that. And this will wrap up season number one of the Jungle Roar podcast. It has been a season, uh, obviously, unlike any other in Bengal history. Uh, they met many landmarks winning a first playoff game in 31 years, winning their first two ever road playoff games and coming within 85 seconds of their first fence. So anyway, it's been a great ride. Follow Kelsey on Twitter at Kelsey L. Conway. Does a fabulous job covering the Bengals for the Cincinnati Inquirer and Cincinnati.com. Kelsey. Thanks for having me on. 
You got it, Kelsey. Anytime. We will have you back in 2022 for sure. I will see you next week, by the way. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Kelsey. That's the Jungle Roar podcast.